0: All right, so Jeff, Roger Cleveland, what do you think?
1: So, I'm glad we reached out. I think Roger was able to come and, you know, articulate some things that are sometimes hard to talk about. And I think he just did it very gracefully. Oh yeah. You can tell he's got a strong opinions and a perspective based upon experience, but For sure. I just think his advice was was solid. What did it sound like to you as you're listening to the two of us talk?
0: I found what he had to say very insightful. I, I enjoyed his um his example that he used his twins. Uh you know the uh equitable versus, you know, equity. Yeah, equity. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so I thought that was interesting. Um because I hadn't had I hadn't had it explained to me that way that you know that you may – do separate things for them but you still want equal outcome for both of them.
1: So, yeah, and yeah. the twins example is perfect, right? Because yeah. we can relate to being parents. Sure. You're a parent, I'm a parent, right? Yeah. And so it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and so and we we treat our kids differently, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. His example on that was perfect and you might have noticed it's it's hard for me having you and him and as bookends to this conversation because you both have this impressive masculine voice, and I got this <laughs> high-pitched, nasally thing that comes out of me. So, you know, you do it, fine. It, it's humbling. You do fine.
0: <laughs> we do enough work with that mic you got there to, to try to counteract that. So,
1: yeah, you do magic. So, thanks, Chris. Yeah, Roger Cleveland, he was awesome. So, anyway, uh, we really appreciate it. You're gonna love. You're gonna love this conversation. If this is challenging for you in any way, shape, or form as an educator, specifically to, you know equity or an inclusion, whatever you call it. Enjoy Roger. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. My name's Jeff Rose. If you're members of our leadership circle, then you are aware that this video is available to you um, when we air it and beyond. And many others listen to us via our publicly available podcast. And um, regardless, know this, we schedule our guests based upon what we are learning week to week, month to month, are really important issues in education, specifically uh, in leadership. So you probably notice if you listen to the show that a lot of our topics are usually aligned to what's kind of hot Uh, a, considered a hot topic in districts and in schools, whether that's public, private, or charter. And so we just tend to get really, really impressive guests. That's our job is to go hunt the right guests aligned to the topic. As everyone in education is probably aware that the topics of diversity, inclusion, equity, and culture, regardless of how those are defined, often with, um, you know, this kind of political lens are really difficult to lead in this day and age. So, um, we looked for an expert and we found a really great guest that you're going to love. I'm going to introduce him here. Uh, I'll read his quick bio that I had to, I had to chop. Because I, I could be here for 15 minutes talking about um, this man's experience as well as his ongoing, um, some of the awards he's received, et cetera. So Dr. Roger Cleveland is going to join us. Now, Dr. Roger Cleveland has been at the forefront of equity, inclusion, and initiatives for over a decade. He has served as an advisor, an equity advisor, and as a moderator, keynote, and presenter at over 80 various conferences, forums, and symposiums promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is currently a professor of the in the College of Education at Kentucky State University and has won numerous awards throughout his career. Dr. Cleveland is also an associate director of the nationally recognized Black Males Working Acad- Academically Program, Academy Program, excuse me, in Lexington, Lexington Kentucky. Dr. Cleveland served two terms on the Kentucky Department of Education's School Curriculum Assessment and Accountability Council and was appointed by Mayor Jim Gray to the Lexington Urban County Human Rights Commission in 2014. And like I said, I've had to really mess with this bio, which is extremely impressive so that we could just really focus on our conversation. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Roger to the screen. Roger, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming and meeting with us today.
0: Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: I am too, and and our our listeners know. Um, and I'll just be really clear. Roger and I have talked in preparation for this show, so I've been um, anxiously awaiting this opportunity because um, I know. Of course, what you do day to day is uh, just becoming what I think is extremely m- more important now than ever, but also maybe even more difficult. But I read your bio. I left out a lot. Can you just maybe fill out a few fill in a few blanks for us or maybe describe some part of your narrative or your story that I definitely missed, maybe your why or your motivation? or how do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Oh, well, that's a uh, that's a lot. Um, yeah, it
1: is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I uh, I spent a lot of time um, working with schools and districts around the country um, about um, how we can support ensure students are successful in school. And part of it is uh, based on my experience uh, in school, um, K-12 and uh, my, how I navigated through that and whatnot wasn't always um a positive thing for overall it was, but making sure that students have um, access and we have uh, appropriate and high expectations for all children. And so I just like having conversations with um, in-service teachers, administrators, uh, superintendents, uh, state education uh, staff, folks like that. And so my motivation is really having conversations and just helping people think through what is best for children uh, throughout this country. And so I also serve as a professor in the College of Education at Eastern Kentucky University, where I get the opportunity also to work with uh, pre-service teachers also. So we had these conversations before they ever get into um, a classroom. So the motivation is really just helping, uh, really metacognition, helping people think about their thinking as it relates to educating children. And so that's kind of been like my motivation uh, over the years.
1: You know, I, I I told you I want to focus our conversation on some themes, some themes where you have experience and expertise, um, and can provide what I think will be a really helpful lens for for our leaders as part of our community. And so, I'm curious. You know, right now, that if we look at the kind of social and political landscape, um, we know that there's 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 a gap, right? There's this actually um, the gap currently is being described. I mean, we know that in the 1970s, when a nation at risk was first identified and written um, over the next 20 years, there were these efforts to really support students who traditionally hadn't been successful in school. We made some progress. When I say we, say education throughout the country made some progress. Then we flatlined for quite some time. And now we know due to some factors that were you know, challenging specifically uh, the COVID chaos, we know that we've taken some steps backwards in terms of that gap. Now, it's also really hard to talk about, right? The, the E word, right? Equity has become extremely politically challenging to just discuss or mention or listen a strategic plan, even though, in my opinion, I don't think it's a political word. I think identifies strategy based upon what I think kids need and deserve. But that's just my perspective, and that is it. As you know, there are many others. So I'm curious, what are you seeing right now in terms of trends in schools and in communities as you try to bring up these really – and help lead these really important discussions and topics? What are you seeing?
0: Well, I'm seeing a lot of uh, pause right now. Uh, Because of the political climate, how the word equity is conflated uh, to different terminology and things of that nature. And so a lot of leaders are trying to find the right language uh, to make it um, palatable to uh, community, particularly external uh, people, not not necessarily in the schools, but mostly um, the community stakeholders. And so trying to find language and, and I just tell them that actually I just had a, a session this morning with a number of educators and I, I just tell them not to get caught up in the semantics, just focus on uh, what's best for children. And so we know uh, diversity and inclusion is uh, taboo in certain places and things of that nature in educational settings. So don't get so focused on using the right terminology but focus on the students. And so something simple as you're not saying equity uh, or whatever, but, you know, what I've been talking to uh, leaders about to ensure the students are successful is acceptance, access, accountability, and allyship. And so even though all those are directly or indirectly related to equity, it just gives uh, leaders some language they can use and still get the work done without getting bombarded with emails and phone calls and things of that nature so the first thing is that we accept all children who come into our buildings right regardless of where their background uh, their zip code or where they're from and then we we, we ensure that all students have access to uh, strong educational program access to rigor Uh, Access to an environment that's conducive for learning for all children, and then the accountability. And accountability is not accountability like state testing or district testing, but accountability, self-accountability to make sure that you are educated on all the differences and backgrounds that children bring and families bring to the educational setting. So it's about self-accountability. and and being prepared to work with any child who walks into your building. And the last one is allyship, where we're supporting uh, different groups of students to be successful in school. Now, all that is connected uh, or indirectly related to equity, but I actually never said the word. Now, I, I continue to talk about equity, but I just thought that for leaders to be able to go ahead and do the work, here's some language they can consider
1: so you know it sounds like there's this uh semantic and uh bobbing and weaving that happens right um i've actually referred it to in the past as almost a covert equity strategy because if the word is the thing getting in the way then you know how can how can we navigate so we don't have to use the word i just i i think i think it's uh, i think it's uh sad and challenging that semantics can get in the way of such important work as it relates to supporting students based upon their needs, which I actually think parents even do in their own home. Right? They, they sometimes love their kids the same, but they treat them differently. So yeah,
0: exactly. uh, the, interesting, the interesting thing I have today is my our, is my twin's birthday, right? Cool. I have a boy and a girl. And from day one, we raised them equitably. But not equally, right? Uh, but we raise them equitably, so they'll have equal outcomes. And so I always tell people that equity is the process; equality is the outcome. So if we give Jeff a equitable process from preschool through twelfth grade, then he'll get what he needs for thirteen years. And when he leaves high school, he's been prepared as long as he has skin in the game uh, to be able to navigate life and has just as many opportunities as other students uh, leaving high school. That's why I call it the opportunity gap, not the achievement gap. The achievement gap implies there's something wrong with the students. Opportunity gap is we're providing students. Uh, we're not providing all students the same opportunities and equal opportunities to be successful in school. Uh, and so, yeah, equity, we, when we raise our children in a very equitable way, we don't treat them all the same. We want them to have equal outcomes, though.
1: So here's what we'll do. Uh, here's what you should do. You just start bringing your your your, your twins with you. So as you go work, <laughs> right, they can kind of be like, uh, you know, eye candy on the stage for people. So that you say, "Look, I can promise you my twins." Right, and then you can talk about what equity truly is as a parent. Um, by the way, that device is free. So here, here's here's a question that I have specific to kind of your training and support of leaders and districts throughout the country. Um, You know, every community is naturally very different, right? There's definitely not a one size fits all. They're all nuanced. Um, The details that kind of leads to the, the rhythm or aura of the community are really important, probably for you to understand. What is your strategy as you go and talk with educators in a particular community? How do you read the room, so to speak, and then tailor... Kind of your strategy to help them move forward? How do you, how do you do that? Because that must um that I just assume that's part of the work.
0: Yeah, I, and I think it takes particularly when we're talking about uh, the topic at hand, equity and culture and things of that nature. That one, uh, you need to know about the district that you're entering. You need to do your homework about that district. You kind of have an idea where they are. You also. Uh, need to facilitate in a way uh, that I always say educators, you know, they don't have time for theory, right? Uh, You want to know that you've already done the research. And so when you get to them, uh, all professional development should be portable and practical. In other words, they can take it with them, but it makes sense to them in the classroom. And it's not the way I present it is not an addition to It's what is, it's what we should be doing, right? So when we start talking about equity or instructional equity, it's not something we got to add on into the classroom. If you want students to be successful, uh, we should be doing this. Uh, It's just good teaching uh, and good leadership. And so I really feel in the room, uh, my approach to really difficult conversations, uh, my approach is this, it's grace, civility, and accountability. And so when I come into a district working with Teachers or principals, who may be central office staff, that I'm not sure where they are with this whole issue around equity or inclusion, but I'm gonna provide some grace and we can have a civil conversation. But the next time I see you, we need to hold each other accountable for our children, our students. And so, just being able to give them some practical things that is not an addition to. It's already a, a tough work and a tough job to do. And so I try to make it portable and practical, something they can take with them, but they can implement like the very next day. And so, and also in the tough conversations, uh, just making sure uh, that I give them grace, right? Uh, civility and accountability. I'll call people in before I call them out.
1: Now, I, I'm curious. This is how, um, I, I I just assume... That when you move forward, you know, kind of driven by you know grace, civility, and accountability, um, that often that's kind of paid back in in return. And I assume that there are times that it isn't, right? So, I mean, are you do you face that uh, as you're even engaging the educational community? That sometimes what you're what you're putting out there in terms of demonstrating grace, I assume occasionally even that educators struggle even paying that back in return. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah. I don't see it a lot, but I also see it if I'm with someone else, um, I see more pushback with one of my colleagues, particularly if it's a woman or if it's uh, someone white, they may push back uh, with them. I don't get a lot of pushback. It's probably more silence uh, than anything else. And so um, I just asked them in when I enter a school or school district, I asked them up front. I said, what do you want today? Do you want a transactional experience or a transformative experience, a transactional experience? I'm just give you some information. You take it and you go about your business and never implement it, do anything with it. Transformative. You want to grow. You want to expand your knowledge and at some point in time you want to implement that and assess whether that worked or not and so i'll put that up front and also put up front what it's about children so if it's really about children we can take the adults uh behaviors out of the uh, the equation and, and talk about what's best for children and so very few people can argue that right and so that's kind of like my approach but i, I get some pushback but not too often
1: yeah well i, I think the, the setup you just described is strategic right it'd be it, it'd be hard for even an educator to say, look, and I'm just looking for kind of a, a transactional experience. I don't want to sit here and just, and just get, I want to just sit and get um, like, of course, we try not to even do with our students. Um, exactly. I think, I think that's smart. You know, you could say, hey, do you want to, do you want to be passive or do you want to be active in this discussion? You let me know and then we'll, we'll lean in. Very few would say, oh, I'm looking, I'm looking to be passive, right? So I think <laughs> <Exactly>. that's smart. <laughs> So, exactly. I, here's, here's another thing. I want, I want to talk about cultural competency. Um, I think over 20 years ago, I started going through experiences and reading books and going through the process of assessing my own level of cultural competency. Um, but like many educational and social constructs, I think there's tons of misunderstandings relative to what cultural competency is um, personally as well as for others. So. How, how do you, in a healthy way, in a, in, in a graceful way, unpack what cultural competency is and maybe even what it isn't?
0: Yeah, you know, well, the first thing I do is I'll make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, common language is really important, right? So you can't really have a really strong and effective discourse if we're talking about two different meanings. So one, I just lay out the, uh, the understanding we mean by culture. And everyone regardless whether you're a student or adult, all people process information from their own cultural lens and they process new information. They connect what they don't know to what they do know. So if we already know that, and it's particularly in the classroom, uh, and we know that we have to learn a lot more about our students. So I'll make sure we understand we're on the same page about culture and culture goes beyond just uh, race and, and language, uh, religion, it goes much deeper than that. So keep that in mind. The other thing is that uh, cultural competency uh, really came out of the health field. Right. And then education, we jumped on a little later. Uh, but cultural competency really is about um, being effective in a different cultural context. So if Jeff goes from Atlanta to San Antonio. Uh, the demographics uh, will be different there. Right and the culture will be different but he can still be an effective educator and doing that and so the problem well it's not really a problem but the difference is when you're with cultural competency it's usually about knowledge awareness and skills right so jeff's had all kinds of professional development he's read some books he's been a couple of sessions with cleveland so now he goes to san antonio and feels like he is prepared to be effective in different cultural context because he's built all these skills, cultural knowledge, cultural awareness, and cultural skills, which is fine to some point. But the difference between cultural competency, one, it's not a, a destination, it's a journey. But two, you have to move from there to be to think about cultural humility. And the difference between cultural humility and cultural competency, cultural humility asks you to do some self-reflection about yourself and about how your own cultural experiences and perspectives from the past influence how you interact with people who are different from you. And it also asks you to examine your own biases. Cultural competency doesn't ask you to do that. And so it's a step further. It's a lot of self-evaluation and things of that nature. And so, yeah, Jeff has to go into San Antonio being culturally humble and learning from the students and families that he's trying to work with. And, up, you know, so in other words, in cultural competency, Jeff, you may think you are the expert because you've had trainings and read books and things like that, when you have a cultural approach or cultural media approach, you are the learner of that community. And so you're trying to learn from their, their cultural experiences and their backgrounds so you can serve them better. And so now you're the learner, not the expert. And so I always say that cultural competency is a skill set and cultural humility is a mindset, and it starts with you first, not the people that you're trying to serve.
1: Well, Roger, we we talked about this when we chatted before the show, and um, I I hadn't heard this term, cultural humility. Right? I mean, cultural competency, like I described over and over, and sometimes you know even watch people shy away from that, especially in this day and age. But cultural humility, I think. Um, I can even take that term as you described it and reflect back on my own experiences and start to kind of tag where I probably did a quality job and where I didn't. Um, And I I think that term is really, really important as a mindset. Um, Here's a story real quick. I had just moved to Atlanta from the West Coast. Um, I was in a room in uh, South County here um, in Fulton, Fulton County, but as a south part, I was, the, uh, I, was, I was the only white person in the room and I was talking to a group of educational leaders and they asked me point blank, what do you notice? What, what do you notice in terms of being, you know, new to the community and the school district? And I mentioned a few things and then one thing I mentioned um, that it was just an honest reflection. I said, this is this is actually one of the most segregated areas that I've ever been, I've ever lived in. And I said, so for example, when I crossed over what is called Highway 20 here in Atlanta, um, there's a very, very clear shift. And I noticed that in the room, there was like a deafening silence. <laughs> I mean, it was like a, it just, it was like that scratch on Um, you know, on the record player, and then it just went silent. And afterwards, I had a colleague pull me aside and said, whoa, what are you doing? And I said, well, I was just honestly describing my own note, what I've noticed. And the person said, that's fine, but you got to wait on that. They They don't know you yet. Like, slow down, right? But I had been used to a particular environment describing things in a particular way and i naturally brought that with me and i had to kind of reflect and learn ah i want to have that conversation but i also need to do it gracefully and at the right pace so that when i say it people can actually believe me so you know potentially that really exposed my cultural humility at the time but i'm a learner too does that make sense
0: that makes a lot of sense you know you may not enter that space, culturally humble. Right. So I'm bringing my own experiences you know, and so it's important that, uh, we are humble and that we, uh, learn from that space uh, and other people. It's really important that we do that. So it doesn't, it makes a lot of sense. And you know with cultural humility to gain more cultural humility, you gotta look at from two ways. One, um, interpersonal, where you do some self-examination of your own biases and your own culture and experiences, and then intrapersonal, putting yourself, uh, immerse yourself in someone else's culture to learn from them and be the learner so you can serve them better. So you can build more culture, uh through interpersonal skills and intrapersonal experiences, and, and that helps quite a bit.
1: Well, I mean, I think even the term, right, compare cultural competency to cultural humility, um, you know, cultural humility, um, as you're describing as a mindset, um, semantically is a lot easier for people to swallow and probably lean into, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're asking them to, you know, have some humility look at themselves as opposed to describing whether a person is competent or not, you know, or at right? what level are you, which is sometimes even kind of judgmental, even if you're judging yourself. So. The concept of humility as this mindset is demonstrating a level of growth and so forth. So going back to your earlier point, I just think it's also a strong semantic game to use because, like I said, when you and I talked, I wrote this term down. I said, now that that, that's something I want to learn more about. So I find that to be really intriguing and important.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like cultural competency. Like you say, you end up in these stages and, you know, one, two, three or four, and it's more... A quantitative approach to it versus cultural humility is qualitative. It's understanding your story, and the more you understand your own story, the more better chance you can understand other people's stories and open yourself up. So it's more qualitative. Um, you don't have to land at a certain place to be culturally humble. It's a process. It's an ongoing process. It's lifelong learning, and so it's a little different. And you know, the humility part, being being humble. And, um, and then tie that to humanity also.
1: So since it's just you you and me here talking, uh, let's talk about instructional equity. We'll, we'll use the word, right? So instructional equity, what, what are some of your um, kind of the current core elements that you would advise leaders to focus on to improving in their system, whether they're a principal, maybe a superintendent, deputy superintendent, regardless of their level of responsibility, How would you kind of advise them on improving instructional equity as you describe it? What are some of those initial steps um, and what advice do you have as it relates to the leader's job?
0: Uh, as um, As a leader, you might want to consider, first of all, where you are, right? And so in classrooms, we talk about assessing for readiness for our students. Well, as a superintendent or, Uh, building administrator we need to assess our readiness for this work around equity and so you want to find out how equitable uh and how conducive uh your your cult your school culture your district culture is for all students and for the work around equity so doing a quick assessment of where you are that could be really in-depth or it can be uh, something as simple as an equity uh, survey so looking at just find out where you are first in assessing for your readiness for the work the second one is developing uh common language right common language uh to make sure we we know what we mean by equity and so i tell people to leaders uh superintendents and and principals to build a equity infrastructure and the equity infrastructure is this doing the assessment first where you are as relates to how equitable your practice and policies are uh, in your school or your district. So do the assessment first. Once you find out where you are, you develop a equity policy that will anchor everything else that you do because a policy is not a suggestion, it's a shall and must. So you have an equity policy. On top of that, you have an equity plan that is aligned with your strategic plan. And then you have an equity scorecard for accountability. And then you have professional development to, to support all your educators, teachers, counselors, classified staff, all those folks uh, to provide support and and training and things of that nature. And then, you know, the last part of that equity infrastructure is having an external group like an equity council or equity committee uh, from community. And their role would be to support the district, but also to advise and make recommendations to the school board and the superintendent to ensure that equitable practices and policies are uh, embedded and actually exercised throughout, um, that school year. So creating an equity infrastructure, creating common language for creating an equity, uh, infrastructure is really important. If you want to address it in a very systemic way and ask yourself when it comes to issues around, um, creating an equitable environment, learning environment, do you have a compliance culture or a commitment culture? and a compliance culture is you the schools doing it because the district said you had to do it. A district's doing it because the state department said you had to do it. And a co- commitment culture is you're doing it because it's best for children. And you can ask yourself where and you always assess where you are on a regular basis.
1: Well, let's what, let's let's talk let's talk about the leader who may say um I think I have a little bit of both, right? I mean to be, to if they're very honest, uh, I think that we have some people in our community that are doing the right work because um, they're held accountable to it or they're supposed to. And I think I also have some people that are doing it because they think um, it's simply the right thing. It's the, it's the noble thing to do on behalf of kids. So do you advise specifically different strategies for each? Because if, if someone is just based focused on compliance it's still important that we serve students, right? So is there strategies regardless of the kind of commitment that is uh, maybe assessed by the district leaders?
0: Yes. Well one is that you can you can provide paint a picture for them, those schools, let's say you're your superintendent and you can look at your schools who tend to have a compliance commitment versus mm-hmm. those schools have a um, commitment culture, and look at the achievement of students and, and look at the, the, the culture and student achievement of those schools, and more than likely, you're going to see that those schools who are more committed to the work around equity and access and acceptance and allyship versus those who are just doing it because, you told them, when you're just doing it because it's out of compliance, you're probably not giving it all, right? You're just doing enough just to say, we check the box or because... The Prince Water Superintendent said, "Well, when you see the commitment level, and because everybody wants to know about data, right? And and if you can, as a superintendent, you can show uh, your principals that the buildings who are who are showing true commitment to this work, this is where their students are, and the, the the schools who are just doing it out of compliance, and this is where your students are. That gets people's attention around student achievement. So that's one way to use data also to show." which schools have a culture of compliance and which schools have a culture of commitment
1: i love it i used to advise others and say let rather than you know try to be the police here just let data be the mediator right just exactly. just look at information and let's put it on the table and have an honest conversation around the data as opposed to focusing too much on opinions right
0: yeah that's that's my question to uh, school boards in the last two and a half years all stuff around equity and my first question I do a lot of um, uh, school board trainings also around that and I just asked them before we you start any conversation what is it you want your students to know and be able to do when they leave your high schools from the tiny and preschool to leave high schools well you know they want them to be successful things like that right who's gonna say I don't want my students to be successful no board members gonna say that or superintendent so when I say that and they all say, we want them to be successful and things. Like, and then the next thing is I show them their data. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's always not working what you're doing right here. So you can call it equity. You can call it peanut butter. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> I just want to be practices that are implemented is going to best impact children.
1: Yeah. Well done. Well said. Okay. So how about courage? I I, I had a conversation a one-on-one with the superintendent uh, today and we just had this discussion on how sometimes it's it's difficult to do the right thing you also have to lead with a lot of courage there's a lot of risk in sometimes doing the right thing on behalf of students um do you do you must see the levels of courage this takes sometimes simply to do the right thing whether you call it the e word or not even if you're talking about Let's ensure that all of our students, regardless of their circumstance, are successful, period. Yeah. Which all people agree, it still takes courage, right? You must see that all the time.
0: It takes a lot of courage. and It also takes uh, a lot of energy, right? So we have a lot of superintendents who are just out there just tired because they have to fight through all this uh, semantics to get this work done. But also people are threatening uh, their jobs because they're trying to do the right thing for children so yes I see a lot of superintendents who are doing just courageous leadership and courageous work and even though their jobs may be in jeopardy they still push it and usually by the time you get to that level as a superintendent uh, you're in it for you know the right reasons and so it's not too dif- it's, it's difficult to go ahead and do the right thing uh, but you know you've been built for that and so yes i see a lot of the uh uh superintendents really and principals yeah. really demonstrating um courageous leadership and 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 in 2023 it takes a lot of that and so it's uh i um i just uh really give kudos for anyone who's a superintendent right now <laughs> and a, a principal because all the things that you have to um uh, you have to go to go through just to be successful but You know, I I tell them to make sure you practice self-care, give the world the best of you, not what's left of you. So you got to take care of yourself as a (laughs) superintendent. You go through a
1: lot. Yeah, well said. So, um, you know, one thing that we're known for in our leadership circle, which is our community, is... You know, we say circles are better than rows, right? This is the one thing that we do to provide content for our members as well as kind of our our podcast. Everything else we do are these round table processes, right? Where leaders are helping leaders with their challenges, uh, their, their problems and kind of guiding each other with pragmatic solutions and ideas and concepts. So if you and I were to pretend we're around a, cer- a table, a circular table. We have principals, deputy superintendents, superintendents, educational leaders around the table. We're having this discussion on, you know, the e-word, inclusion, supporting all students. What would you want your your final words of wisdom or your advice to be? What would you want to kind of leave them with? You're kind of dra- dropping the mic before before the conversation's over what would you want them to hear?
0: Well, that's a lot, probably quite a bit. Uh, one, I would tell them initially, just off the top, that you are, the fact that you're an educator, uh, it's tough to be an educator right now. And two, that you're an educational leader uh, and a learning leader, uh, that I would just, you know, I would give them their kudos and thank them for the work that they do. And I would remind them of this, about all the children that's in their school district, a child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. And so if you don't create an environment that is conducive for all children, regardless how great the instruction is, um, you know, great teachers and things of that nature, a child has to have some kind of sense of belonging. If they're going to bring all of who they are and their authentic self into that school and and, and give their all because if they don't see themselves um, in the curriculum, they don't see themselves in the instruction, things of that nature. It it sends a message or conveys a message that this whole education thing is not for me. And you, those are the children that you see leaving school prematurely. So I would just say that um, create, don't get caught up in the semantics, focus on the data because that's what everybody wants to focus on, right? If you want to talk about, you don't have to mention equity but lay a foundation around accepting uh, students for who they are and their families, making sure that all students have access to a rigorous um, curriculum and instruction, hold ourselves accountable uh, to creating that environment for all children and families, and then allyship, um, supporting uh, those students and families. If you can write those four A's and lay that as the foundation uh, through just good leadership then I think, you know, you'll be okay. It'd be tough, but you'll be okay.
1: Well, it, of, of course it'll be tough as we, we have described, but um, I, I think you're right. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you brought this back in some ways just to, you know, the, the age-old instructional strategy of having relationships and loving our students. And if in fact they feel that, from their very educators and they feel a part of a system trying to serve them, it makes a difference in their overall motivation and ability to kind of lean in and and love us back, so to speak. Um, I just think at at times we get really caught, we get really focused on content. Um, When I think back to my moments in education, the great ones and the really bad ones, it didn't have anything to do with content. It had everything to do with relationships. Right. Yeah. Um, I always say um, care
0: before content, attachment before assessment.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> well, this this topic, I I put the word out to several people, and one particular colleague wrote back to me and said, "Listen, if you're focusing on here, there's a guy named Roger Cleveland you should chat with." Hence, I emailed you and said, can we talk? And I'm so, so glad we're able to make this connection. I really appreciate your time, the noble work you're doing, supporting educational leaders throughout the country and um, serving us in this way by providing some just incredible, uh, stable and focused, wise advice to leaders. So thank you so much, Roger. Thank you so
0: much, Roger. I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. It was a great conversation with you.
1: Indeed, indeed. okay, thank you. Be well. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, so um, you'll you'll agree. Um, I, I know you will. this This topic of whether you call it equity, whether you call it really trying to support our diverse students, and that is different in every single community is becoming increasingly challenging. It's, um, it's driving the need for more and more courage of our educators and our leaders. And we can't back away from it, but we need to do it strategically. And so um, Roger has provided some really great advice. And um, the more that we learn, the better we can lead. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, be well.